and... Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Monday, December 11th, 2023. Not too many days left in that uh there, we're making sure everything works here. Uh, not too many days left in the year here. What are we down to? What? 19? My math is right. No, uh, 20, if my math is right. Well, mostly, for most of you listening, it's going to be 19. Unbelievable. Well, we had off for a couple of days here. We had uh, projects running in southeastern United States, Atlanta, and uh, the area. So uh, we just got back. We should be broadcasting pretty much every day this week. But we'll see. Hope everybody is doing well out there. And I hope, uh, you know, get your Christmas shopping done. So I surprised my wife. My wife is in San Diego this weekend. Uh, she just got back for showtime. And I surprised her with a Christmas tree in the bedroom. I don't know. We'll see. She uh, she was acting like she really liked it, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, put up three trees yesterday, plus my wife's tree in the bedroom. And, well, kids are here. We're, we had a grand old time. I tell you what. The wonderful thing about having children, let's see if I can get is every year it's like a Hallmark uh, type of decision. I don't mean Hallmark like, you know, the card company. I mean, it's a real, the kids get older, they want to, at least in my family, uh, they, everybody wants to help out with the Christmas tree. And it's like this every year, the Christmas tree a job or Christmas trees in our case, kids want to do a little bit more. And it's quite, uh, I remember this, you know, it's quite refreshing where you no know, people would have, you no, know, uh, at my mother's house, there's a big chest in the attic, and all the kids in the family wanted to take down that chest every year with all the Christmas decorations and decorate the tree in that chest. And every year that was like the event, fighting the kids, fighting to bring that down. A uh, similar thing here was we put up the Christmas tree. Now everybody's fighting hell. We're just going to put up a Christmas tree. So we have three or four right Christmas trees here where everybody gets there's enough opportunity for everybody to go and do it. I'm thankful uh, that we are fortunate enough that we can do that. Most families, one Christmas tree. And I said they're like four generally or three. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I like Christmas. We love Christmas here. 
Anyway, I'm gonna back up here. Now I hope everybody goes back on our last program and where we talked about chimney sweeps and the new ocean policy. And I hope you send that to your favorite chimney sweep uh, company because it's an important thing. Uh, but as we know, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here, things get mistranslated. I see that's going to happen here with the uh, with the whole chimney sweep uh, fall protection issue. Things are going to get misinterpreted. The other thing is, is that it's ripe. The whole decision is ripe for a uh, letter of interpretation for OSHA for other forms of other workplace settings with fall protection because now they gave you a standard of what can happen in the Department of, of what you can use as an anchorage point. As we all know, the Department of Labor does not really like to contradict itself in, right on those letters of interpretation, so it's probably uh, worth it. Now, here we have – I'm going to back uh, uh, off here a little bit and say we're going to go and talk about this. I ha- I call my – and today I'm going to earn it, right? The what, What's that? Safety shock jock. I'm going to earn that moniker today, right? Now, what is a shock jock? A shock jock is a radio broadcaster or a DJ. That's me, right? Okay, streaming on the internet. Great. Or DJ who entertains listeners and attracts attention using humor and or melodramatic exaggeration that may offend some portion of the listening audience. So I don't think I'm melodramatic and I don't really exaggerate anything, but I'm a, I'll offend you, right? Uh, with this, uh, but that's to provoke you to get a conversation started to uh, maybe rattle that you know those butterflies out. Jay Allen does a similar thing, by the way. If you watch that great, the, the Jay Allen, the safety mystic, and also Todd Conklin to a certain extent, the other safety mystic, uh, he they both uh, do a different way. They do they shock you, but in a different way. Uh, much more, much less in your face, right? So uh, I guess they're all shock jocks. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot happened today in New York uh, here. I'm going to see if I could share the screen here, if this is cooperating. No, it's not going to cooperate. Hold on. I know it's dead air. Okay, we're maybe it'll work now. And this is actually happening in real time here. Uh, this is from the New York Post. If I could share the story on the live screen, I know this does not help you if you are uh, on the audio portion of this. Corner of Bronx apartment building collapses as FDNY searches for possible victims. So at roughly 3.30 this afternoon, Eastern Time, there's a partial building collapse in New York. Now, they don't have a lot of information at, uh, at what I was uh, uh, listening to this. Uh, I was listening to this you know, all afternoon, and they had uh, different press conferences, that sort of thing. So uh, what we're looking at here is that there was a partial building collapse. Okay. Uh, I'll, and they, they don't know exactly why or what happened. 
I'm going to say this much. According to one of the reports out there, and it's not in the New York Post uh, uh, thing that I'm showing now, uh, one of the uh, – said there was like a minute and 36-second response time. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And reportedly, according to the press conferences, this building did have some issues as far as uh, they uh, were replacing the facade of the building. They were, I don't know if they were cited on that, but they were told they had to replace the side of the building. And uh, what we call the sidewalk uh, tents or sidewalk uh, teepees, some people call them here, were a little bit out of compliance, problems with the mud sills, some scaffolding issues, but nothing really that would add, according to the reports as of right now, airtime, uh, dealing with this uh, as far as uh, 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 uh and, you know, what could have caused this thing? Now, uh, apparently, they nobody got injured, right? That's they don't expect that to remain true towards the end of this. Uh, and a couple of things, a couple of takeaways here. One of the things, and only because you know, I get asked these often, I'll ask questions. Hey, uh, Jim, how do you remember this stuff? I'm not like that woman from Taxi, right? Elaine Nardo, uh, the woman who, the actress who played her, uh, who, oh, Mary Lou Henner. I'm not Mary Lou Henner, who, uh, she is actually a little from the old Taxi show. Uh, She was on TV this morning on The View. I stayed home today and worked from home, and my father-in-law loves watching The View for some reason. And I was watching, they had the Taxi show, the surviving members of the TV show Taxi. Mary Lou Henner is uh, a woman, and then they alluded to it. Hey, uh, she remembers everything. She is what we call a superior, she has superior autobiographical memory ability. All right. Uh, One of 67 people or 62 people, they think, in the world of being hyper- the I'm gonna destroy this hyper thymusiac, hyper thymusiac, uh, thymusiac, right? Uh, and this is she remembers everything. I've heard her on different interview shows. Amazing woman, uh, she re- literally remembers everything from the time she was about 12 years old on, uh, and uh, uh, just mind blowing. With that, I'm not that woman, uh, not not like her. I don't have a super memory, just ask my wife. And uh, she, uh, especially when she tells me something. Uh, but I I come across a lot of different things. They pulled up, uh, so I remember weird things. They pulled up this picture of the building in 1940, right, that collapsed. And they were showing some stuff and how it was constructed and pulled permits and Things looked up old permits and things of that nature. What people don't realize that in New York City in the 1930s and 40s, it might have gone back further than that. For tax reasons, all right, property taxes, all buildings and properties are photographed. Now, uh, the New York Times did uh, a couple of stories on this stuff over the years with, uh, you know, uh, where they were curating these photos. And pretty amazing that they had the, every building in New York City photographed back in them days. I don't know if that's still done, 
But uh, I tell you what, that must have been one hell of a tedious job, number one. Because remember, you're taking a photo, and it's not like you could digitally do it and you have GPS like on your phone or anything like that. You actually were on whatever film they were using. might have been 35 millimeter, may not have been, whatever they were using. And it's... Right, You'd, and then you got to go back and label every one of those photos. I got into that uh, on two projects where I was in charge of evidence collecting uh, for industrial accidents and environmental cleanups. It's a was a special art back in the day, so that's where we're going to leave it on that. Uh, what we used to have to do was get an index card and write on the index card what we were photographing, and either hold it up right to the lens, right like this, or down when we had it on a dark background, a piece of evidence and take a photograph of it. And that's how we handle them. Now, the thing is, uh, companies like there, and I don't think it exists anywhere, Moto Photo loved us because we would go in there with like 40,000 photos. You know, one guy uh, so was uh, kept on begging us, when is your uh, job over? Because uh, now we're going to take all that money and go on vacation for a week. You no, know, you developed like 40,000 photos on that one. Anyway, we have an audio, and I believe it's on the public record because it is the source is from a thing. And here you go. If you have social media that is dominated by algorithms that uh, pull people down these uh, rabbit holes that are a bit like pitcher plants, these algorithms, uh, they are the digital equivalent of AR-15s. They ought to be banned. They really ought to be banned. It's an abuse of the public forum. But when these, when people are pulled down these uh, rabbit holes, you know what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole? That's where the echo chamber is. Uh, and if you spend too much time in the echo chamber, what's weaponized is another form of AI, not artificial intelligence, artificial insanity. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. QAnon is just the best known version of artificial insanity. And these uh, devices are the enemies uh, of self-government, and they're the enemies of democracy. We need reforms for both democracy and capitalism. Both, are, both sets of reforms are possible. Okay, so who was that? That was former Vice President Al Gore at the COP28, as Conference of the Parties 28, uh, conference uh, over the weekend here in the last couple of days, might have been last week. Now, what does, right? We're going to have a little bit of a history lesson here because I grew up hearing this stuff, right? right? Since I'm 21 years old, I'm a lot older than that now, back in the early 90s. Before we had a thing called BI in this country. What's BI? We heard of AI. We have two forms of AI here. BI before internet. And what you had out there, by the way, the former vice president does have a point here on this. He's not totally wrong. He has, uh, we had only a couple of news outlets and they were regional, right? Before 1980, you didn't even have cable TV up here. 
anywhere. Very few areas had cable TV. So what did you have? Growing up in central New Jersey, Middlesex County, we had Channel 13, which is the local PBS affiliate. We had double Channel 11, Channel 11 WPIX. We had Channel 9, Seacaucus, Seacaucus, WOR, and that was a super station for that turned into starting in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, all over the country. You, you had Channel 9, there, WOR, Channel 7, WABC, you had WNEW TV, Channel 5, Channel 4, uh, WNBC, uh, and you had CBS, and if you were fortunate enough to have rabbit ears and have a, or a UHF antenna, you had the New Jersey network, right, which was channel 51 or 52, depending on your thing. And of course, sometimes you had some of the other ones, Salamundo or whatever came in later on on UHF. So you had very few news outlets. Most people only read a couple of newspapers. If you were in the hoity-toity Businessmen, attorney, what have you, you read the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, and maybe the state paper. In our household, we read Star-Ledger and uh, the News Tribune, which became eventually the Home News Tribune. What's, and that you, you would get, like, normal, you know, magazines or whatever. Now, this is what my point is here on all of this stuff. You had very limited news outlets. And... You had people with basically uh, the same point of view reporting the news. And this is, in my opinion, again, this is a shock shock. This is what happened was we weren't getting all the news. We got the news that we wanted to get, that we uh, got from, you know, Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw, and all these other gentlemen out there, right? Usually white men, usually people that are fed information and everything else, and it would impact public opinion. Very few people were ever able to break through this in the underground. Two people that were able to do it, and you're going to hate me for saying this, and that's fine, were uh, in the early 1980s, you had a thing, well, I think it was 78, you had a thing called C-SPAN, right? Public access. And you would go out there on the public access airways and uh, you, they were to show government proceedings. One of them, Newt Gingrich, young congressman, I believe he was in, elected either 76 or 78. He ended up going and had what were called after-hour speeches in front of Congress. So what would happen is people would go in front of Congress and after hours, and you would have the floor for like an hour. Whatever, I believe it was an hour, they still have them. And he'd be giving a speech on everything. And what they did was he would let people know when he was doing this, and they would hit the VCR, record, Betamax, right? Or they would get the copies of this stuff, and they would have watch parties in his district. And he was able to go out and eventually, years and years and years, sort of like us, we're going to be up to 300 programs next week, probably, Again and again and again and again, watch this stuff. The second person who was able to go through it and was with humor was Ronald Reagan. Again, I'll be hated by a lot of people saying this. And they ended up going all through this. Starting uh, go, going through this, starting in 96, 
if we recall. Uh, the Clinton administration, and again, talk radio came out with all the talking heads, and we all from, we're all familiar through a conservative talk radio, and they also had liberal talk radio too. Different attempts going through that, educating people. Then in '96, you had the internet came out, and uh, a colleague of mine, former friend of mine, he uh, uh, went in front of uh, the powers that be uh, on the Republican end. Uh, Senator Bob Dole, and he said to him, look, you should be on the Internet. They put up the Internet within uh, a website up within a day or two. And what do you think happened? It got destroyed. Right. And then that's the everything. But now what happened was the advent of social media and politics. I mean, we used to have listservs and they're still out there in a form. You used to have chat rooms. You used to have email lists and all this stuff going on. Then people started to undermine mainstream media, broadcast media, even the cable media now had competition. And what the, what don't you like if you're in business? Come on, everybody. What don't you like? Think about it. You don't like competition. You want to monopolize everything. And what ended up happening now, and there was uh, reports here uh, on uh, somebody uh, for – Complete uh, disclosure here. Uh, Twenty here uh, with this. All right. Uh, there's we're scattered. I don't have it in the sound clip here. In 2016, a lot of these companies that were online that were here doing this stuff, uh, you know, reporting news and everything, they they picked up uh, a conversation. Uh, on with these big media companies saying we can't allow this to happen again. And then that's what happened was we had a lot of censoring on social media where they all of a sudden everything was a violation of terms. I, I, I talk to people regularly that people go back 25 uh, no go back uh, to uh, go way back to 2018 with tweets that they had and everything got banned. So this is all leading to one thing. You had over the weekend the other wars out there. We have safety wars. There are other wars out there uh, that were allowed back on Twitter, and everyone's been talking about this all day, where all of a sudden uh, Elon Musk took a poll, he bought Twitter, and a lot of people got back on Twitter and are using it, including the former president and another and another media personality. What ended up happening was these people got allowed on. Now everybody's freaking out. Now, what do we do about this? I know it sounds like I'm rambling. What do we do about all this? This is what we do. If we don't agree with someone and they're aggravating you, go somewhere else. How's that? No, because this is what's happening. A lot of people out there have been censored. They're right a lot of times, they're wrong a lot of times. Maybe that we, we as people, should be given the option of what we call baloney and what we call news and believable. Different credibility. I know it's a scary thing to people like the former president, uh, vice president here, who's all freaking out. Well, we have to kill the algorithms, do this, do that. I get it. But is that really 
the response that we need, because again, the safety war is not only about industrial safety, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's also about the other th- threats to our safety, our psychological safety, the safety of our First Amendment protections, of free speech, freedom of association, all of the other stuff thrown in there too. Uh, no, uh, just something I want to point out to you: uh, whether you, whether or not, whether or not you like the other wars out there, irrelevant. They want to go and talk. You go and you find out. And now, guess what? You disagree with them? Come up with your own show. Come up with your own website. Come up with arguments to dissuade people. The other thing is this. Anti-Semitism. And you can say, well, Jim, what about anti-Semitism? I did not realize what, what, that it's out there, and I became sensitive to it when I married uh, uh, my wife, who is part Jewish. She, there, her family is Dutch Reformed. That's a religion, but they're no part Jewish. And as we all, her great grandmother was it great grandmother? No, grandmother was Jewish. And as we all know, with these anti Semites and the Nazis out there, you had the saying, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Right? So, four generations. That's how they counted whether you were Jewish or not, whether you had Jewish blood or not. And I got a little bit sensitive to this because every once in a while you hear someone say an anti-Semitic thing. It's like, oh, hold on. Now I have children, fourth generation, with these people thinking my kids are part Jewish. I went and did the 23andMe thing and I found out I'm part Jewish also, separate from my wife marrying into uh, who's part Jewish, right? I'm separate from that. And I tell you what. We have all these hard, no, so I'm a little bit sensitive to this now. I live in a Jewish community here. Now, what I'm shocked about, and I mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago with Maya Bikalik, right, from Blossom. I believe that's how you pronounce her name. She was shocked that there was anti-Semitism on college campuses. It came out this week, right, that where a whole bunch of people were uh, in front of Congress, college presidents, and one of them ended up uh, resigning, right? Everybody's shocked that there's anti-Semitism. Why? This whole thing of censorship. People are shocked, right? We had uh, a big uh, thing, a uh, rally out here uh, two weekends ago on one of our uh, uh, town square type things, on Route 59, I would call it a town square type of environment there. Uh, so we used to call them sine waves back in the uh, back in the day uh, with political stuff. We had this. Everyone is shocked that we have anti-Semites here in uh, Clarkstown, New York. Oh, really? Well, where have they been? I don't know. They've been shut up. So what? Because they can't say anything because they've been censored and everything else. We've got to censor. Right? So I'm not saying don't censor these people. I'm saying there is a cost to censoring people because you don't know what anybody is. You don't know what the dialogue is. And you have these people harboring this stuff. And uh, God forbid anything bad happens here. Anyway, I'm on a rant. So I'm going to go to commercial break here. I mean, it's uh, disgusting. Uh, here with this right uh, no uh, no you're shocked no, everyone's shocked people feel this well, well keep censoring them uh, keep doing it right 
Anyway, and uh, by the way, uh, more dialogue, more information is not a bad thing. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including... Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Okay, we're going to go back and start talking about some safety here, right? This is from a press release uh, today. I'm shocked they got it out today. All right. Here we have OSHA announces the switch from traditional hard hats to safety helmets to protect agency employees from head injuries. Right? Better. This is from their press release. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration announced that the agency is replacing traditional hard hats used by its employees with more modern safety helmets to protect them uh, better when they are on inspection sites. In 2020, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, again, this is a a game changer. I'm going to highlight this here. In 2020, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports head injuries accounted for nearly 6% of non-fatal occupational injuries involving days away from work. Almost half of those injuries occurred when workers came into contact with an object or equipment while about, and again, listen, this is the important thing, while about 20% were caused by slips, trips, and falls. Dating back to the 1960s, traditional hard hats protect the top of a worker's head but have minimal side impact protection and also lack shin straps. Without the straps, traditional hard hats can fall off a worker's head if they slip or trip, leaving them unprotected. In addition, traditional hard hats lack vents and trapped heat inside. On November 22, 2023, OSHA published a safety and health information uh, uh, bulletin Okay, we're going to pull that up here. I did not see that. Detailing key differences between traditional hard hats and more modern safety helmets and the advancements in design, materials, and other features that help protect workers' entire heads better. Today's safety helmets may also offer face shields or goggles to protect against projectiles, dust, and chemical splashes. Others offer built-in hearing protection and or communication systems to enable clear communication in noisy environments. They've always done that with traditional hard hats. I mean, no, that's a common thing. The agency recommends safety helmets 
be used by people working at construction industry and in the oil and gas industry in high temperature specialized work and low risk environments, performing tasks involving electrical work and working from heights, one required by regulations or industry standard. OSHA wants employers to make safety and health a core value in their workplaces and is committed to doing the same by leading and by leading by example and embracing the evolution of head protection. Okay. Now, uh, what do we have here? This is uh, apparently what they are going to be using. Let me zoom in. Again, this is a government website. Example of a safety helmet with that. And I know I'll go in there and I'm not going to read the whole thing. Now, they make recommendations here. My question is this. According to the information I have, right, OSHA, since we have a regulation, they're not going, unless they make it a regulation that you have to wear these, they really can't enforce it. That's the information I have that may or may not be accurate. However, can you see in a regular lawsuit with someone with a head injury, we're talking like 6% all occupational injuries, According to OSHA, they recommend it for construction sites. Right? My father, my husband, my brother, my daddy, whatever, was not given a helmet and, uh, against, and that's against OSHA recommendations. Can you imagine that? Or, hey, OSHA recommended X, Y, and Z. Why aren't you using it? I don't know. And these things are not like your $10 hard hat you could get from that place that is named after a river in South America. This is These things cost a lot more. What if you have a temporary employee for a day of, day of work? That happens all the time. Are you going to get them a $100 hard hat or her a $100 hard hat? Something to consider. They muddied the waters a little bit here, but muddied them in a good way, I guess. Uh, so I guess what well, I'm going to tell anybody working for me, ditch the hard hat. And this goes on and on. Uh, I'm going to probably post this along with the program tonight. Now, uh, let's mosey on over. We have two letters of interpretation here on this. And... The one is from 2004, and now we're going to concentrate on that. The other one is 2014. Now, what is the letter of interpretation? That means that when the regulation is not clear or there's a question on interpretation, you write to your uh, area administrator for OSHA or somebody at OSHA in charge, and they bump it on up the uh, line. And then uh, something gets issued by an area administrator or someone in power that's able to speak on behalf of OSHA. And essentially that becomes like the regulation, right? Uh, because they're, you know, they got to review it and everything else. Now, this is one of the things, and we mentioned this last week, with the, uh, which was a brilliant program. And I think we were only the second ones that – that did this right uh, that I could find was with the uh, uh, was with the uh, chimney sweeps right and their anchorage points there and I said well other people may want to write and add for a letter of interpretation on their situation here in construction in general industry 
Uh, my employees are working on a one-story roof with no construction being done overhead. Also, there is no equipment on the roof that poses a risk of head injury. My roofers remove their hard hats once they are on the roof and place them back on before coming down. If you think I believe that, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I'm not calling this guy a liar, but I've done plenty of roofing jobs. This is not how it's done usually on my jobs. This is a violation 1926-100. Note that the builder general contractor requires our workers to wear them all on the roof. Oh, answer. Employees working in areas where there is a possibility of danger from head injury from impact or from falling or flying objects or from electrical shock conversion shall be protected by protected by protective helmets. Okay, so OSHA just said that from slips, drifts, and falls, you're gonna have a head injury. OSHA previously stated. And in an August 23, 1983 letter to Congressman Sasiski, where employers are not exposed to possible head injuries, head protection is not required by OSHA standards. So, right, in your scenario where no work is being performed overhead and there is no employee exposure of possible head injuries, there is no OSHA requirement that hard hats will be worn on the roof. So, uh, we're, that... Letter of interpretation coupled with this one, which is from a little bit more current, which deals with heat stress, right, on here, uh, heat-related illnesses because of wearing hard hats on this. Well, you know, they do make hard hats with vents, even for this in 2014. We had hard hats with vents for a long time. How does this get communicated to workers in the field? I'll explain it to you. This gets communicated that roofers don't have to wear hard hats because that's the way it is. Just like when we had the settlement issue last week, the chimney sweeps, I can almost guarantee you that the uh, interpretation in the field is going to be we don't have to use fall protection because nobody's going to sit here and look at this stuff like we are here and examine it. Now, this coupled with all of this coupled with here, let's go back to the original one. Almost half of injuries, uh, 20% of injuries, non fatal injuries uh, to head are caused by slips, drifts, and falls. So, what's the one to do? I'm going to tell you what it is since there is a danger to, hard hat, uh, to your head, right? From slips, drifts, and falls, you're going to wear a hard hat on a construction site on one of my jobs. It's going to go in the paperwork, just the way it is with that. So letters going out tomorrow to my clients for my recommendations here uh, with this. Uh, we'll see where this goes, how this evolves, how this shakes out. Now, have I gotten into this already with a roofer? Absolutely have I gotten into this with a roofer. Uh, and they said, well, we have no overhead hazards, therefore we don't have to wear hard hats. But they also had the attitude that they didn't have to wear fall protection, that they didn't, that threatening to kill people and throw them off the roof for pointing out that they should be wearing fall protection was okay too. And the client had their back, the general contractor had their back on that. I'm not going to mention the company name, but it was a roofer in North Jersey. Uh, with religious, uh, always with religious uh, things on the side of the truck. So you can figure out who that is if you're in North Jersey. But anyway, they ended up uh, 
saying, I ended up writing a nice email with these letters of interpretation. And I also had from data, right, uh, that said this, 21st of were caused by sensitive default. So I said, look, they don't have to wear a hard hat if they can eliminate all hazards, including slip trips and fall hazards. And by the way, here's a picture of their housekeeping. See slip strips and fall hazards there? So what ended up happening? They ended up having to wear a hard hat. They didn't like that very much. And the GC then said, you know what? This was good, you know, with this. And they went along with it. And here we go. OSHA news releases. And uh, here we have from December 7th last week. U.S. Department of Labor launches program to stem rising fatality rates, promote workplace safety in landscaping and horticultural industries. U.S. Department of Labor announced that its OSHA has launched a regional emphasis program to promote workplace safety and protect people employed in landscaping or horticultural industries in four Western states and three Pacific territories. From 2011... Uh, the Bureau of Labor uh, Statistics reported 1,072 work-related fatalities in the landscaping and groundskeeping industry. So this is over a 10-year period. Of these, the 234 industry worker deaths in 2021 exceeded the national averages for fatalities, injuries, and illnesses in other industries as a result that prompted OSHA's action. For most landscaping industry workers, a day on the job means facing the risk of amputations, Falls, electrocutions, excessive noise, heat illness, and ergonomic in- injuries, dangers associated with motor vehicle and machinery operations, and harm caused by animals, insects, pesticide, and other chemical exposures. By instituting a new regional emphasis program for landscaping industry employers in areas of federal jurisdiction, tribal lands, military bases, and particular waterfront areas, people must have been falling into the water on this one. OSHA aims to reduce the high fatality and injury rates we've seen in this industry while enhancing workplace safety, said OSHA Regional Administrator James Wolfe in San Francisco. By intensifying our focus on the landscaping industry, we can show employers how they can protect their workers. The new regional emphasis program includes employers in American Samoa, Arizona, California, Guam, Hawaii, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Nevada. Under the program, OSHA will conduct safety and health inspections of landscaping and horticultural industry employers focused on tree care uh, and related services, including tree and bush planting, pruning, bracing, spraying, removal and surgery, commercial law and landscape maintenance, and utility line tree trimming services. OSHA encourages small employers to use the safety agency's on-site consultation. Going on and on. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I was having a, a, a talk with a landscaper last week. Uh, and I said, you know, one of the things that they uh, focus on is go on the damn portable gasoline cans. They got to be metal. They got to be string loaded. They got to have to have a flash arrestor on it. I said, you're looking at huge fines with that. He said, yeah, Jimmy, I know. Uh, we had an issue about 15 years ago. With this, and guess what we did? We got we banned that type of. He said, "Go look on my truck. We banned those uh, plastic containers." Uh, period. What we have other ways of mitigating that hazard here, and it's not with plastic gas cans. A friend of the program here was working at home, and he uh, was using plastic gas can, the flash arrestor, 
uh, was off and it hit an ignition source and it blew up the can on him. I didn't hear from him for like six months. Yeah, well, and he wasn't answering his phone. I'm like, well, what the hell is going on? Uh, guess what? His uh, shoes melted. He was wearing sneakers, of course. Shoes melted to his feet. He had to have his feet derided every day for six months. He said he should, uh, you know, was having uh, PTSD over it. U.S. Department of Labor uh, cites Massachusetts concrete contractor for crushing fall and energy hazard violations after an employee fatality. OSHA investigators found that a company... Uh, did not do the vol- let's uh, not do the follow. Let's view the citations here. Again, this is all off of the Department of Labor website. We're going to avoid uh, mentioning the company name here. Going down, down, down. Citation one, item one. Uh, type of violation serious. This was was sixty two hundred dollars. Uh, on or about uh, September 6, 2023, uh, the employer did not ensure a thorough through providing appropriate means of access, training, and specific instructions and visual observation that the employee who was required to remove the upper soil screen on a tail conveyor was exposed to crushing and fall hazards while riding the bucket of a front-end loader. So he rode the bucket of a front-end loader and then... He had this issue going on with the conveyor. And, of course, OSHA, when they issue a general duty clause violation, they always issue a what you could have done to prevent it because that's a requirement of that. And here we have 1910.28. The employer did not provide uh, protection for each employee exposed to fall and falling object hazards. Again, uh, people were working on a soil screenings tail conveyor, four foot or above in the general industry, $6,250. Uh, here we have another one with a soil screener, right? Two employees are standing and working on a soil screener's tail conveyor with broken rusted hydraulic lines fitting caked in dried dirt, ruptured hydraulic line with dried dirt and caked around the hydraulic line inside the hydraulic line, spider webs inside the ruptured and Hydraulic line, that's where the, uh, it's a fine spray and you get like a spider web sort of thing. And uh, a broken hand level, lever, blah, blah, blah. Again, what was their abatement step on here? Disable it, dispose of it, service it, willful, serious violation of $62,000. Uh, next one was a lockout tagout one. Again, working on a conveyor while it was running. 62, that's what it was. Right? Then the lockout tag out, apparently when it was run, it doesn't say yes or no, but uh, $62,000, that was a willful serious. Here we have another willful serious uh, lockout tag out, 62000 uh, bucks and then citation three item one other than serious no record keeping eight hundred ninety three dollars oh no OSHA three hundred lock and that's what it was came down to for a grand total of two hundred thousand nine hundred five dollars and what was this fatal injuries so basically fatal injuries and usually when unless it's something so obvious. 
OSHA will go easy on the contractor just to get them to admit wrongdoing. But the fact that they have willful things on this, they think it's an OSHA open and shut case. There's going to be a lawsuit. Probably I'm reading into it. That's an inference I'm uh, drawing here. Not a uh, again. I've worked on a lot of this stuff over the years in the environmental consulting field, where we had conveyors and everything with that uh, one soil solidification uh, type things. And so I'm somewhat familiar with the these operations here. And plus, I watched Cold Rush for years on the Discovery Channel. I'll throw out do shout out to them. Uh, how much were we going to go here? Okay, uh, federal investigation determined a Cartersville chemical manufacturer could have prevented a 52-year-old leach tank operator from suffering fatal chemical and thermal burns over most of his body in June of 2023 by following the required safety regulations. And going on, uh, it was a new employee. Here we have, uh, let's see, all the same stuff happening all over again. Failed to establish energy control procedures. I'm not going to go into everything here on this one. $55,403, slip trips to fall hazards, inspection. And again, that has to be documented. Uh, entrapment hazards by not clearly marking routes up to emergency exits and no safety data sheets. So $55,403. Guy fell into a <coughs> vat of lie. Before OSHA concluded the investigation, the agency learned that 25 days after the fatal incident, another employee inspecting a leaking gasket under a tank full of uh, lye suffered chemical burns when the tank overflowed. Right? Uh, the original one was uh, a person opened an air intake valve to inspect the noise coming from the barium sulfide. Again, another nasty chemical wash cone. The steam line that was left open the day before the rush of cold air in the steam line created a bubble that pushed the heat sludge into the worker, causing fatal burns. A second worker saw, suffered uh, second-degree burns. Again, I don't know what was going on there. Now you're going to now there, now these three final three stories are all related here, and I want to put this out. I'm probably going to divide this up when I repost this and then I repost these things multiple times often. Here we have in Alabama, Missouri, and all over the place, right? Brownfields. This is what my problem was with recruiting workers. We had a thing back in 2010 called the Gulf Oil Spill by a large oil company. The contractors there were uh, uh, recruited, were forced, compelled, forced to use people in communities where they had very little work experience, at-risk communities, very little access to health care and everything else like that. All right. And what ended up happening was because of the Gulf oil spill uh, study that I'm a part of, full disclosure, that these people had a tendency because once the job ended after a year or two years, some went on three or four years. Some people made a whole career out of it, like my friend Cynthia, who probably is listening to this program here. Uh, she where they were not 
no, no, what they're finding out is that these folks, once they got off the Gulf oil spill, are at a higher uh, proclivity, higher chance. There's a correlation between that work, not having adequate health care, and an increase in all different types of diseases. So my question is this, because these folks that they were getting were off of the public assistance roles and out of rehabs and things of that nature. A lot of them did not have uh, uh, did not have any work experience at all. How do I know that? Because I trained Jimmy Polzel trained about 5,500 workers, 5,400 workers in this uh, in this whole thing. It was legitimate training. A forty-hour has offer, all audited by uh, BP and other individuals to make sure we were doing it. And by the way, in my storage room back here, I have videotapes of every training class, so to prove that they were legitimate training classes. But what's my point here? What's going to happen? We're going to get these folks back into the system, back in the working, doing cleanup projects. What was their occupational uh, thing? 40-hour training has offer, or are they going to be 24-hour trained? What are their qualifications? Everything else. I've done this since uh, with these communities since 2005. And uh, no, and then, no, I, I still continue to do it when the opportunity presents itself. What are you going to do about after the work is done? Are you going to monitor their health? Are you going to just say, screw it, get their work, and screw you? I'm putting in a deliberate pause on there, just something that you need to think about, and I think the administration has to think about. Because do they want another repeat on a smaller scale of what we're going through with the Gulf oil spill with the long-term health consequences of this? And when it says cleanups here, what does that mean? Right. 100 citizens. They said, well, 100 citizens, 100. Grand. OK, great. You're hiring 100 people. All right. Well, explain to me how you're going to protect those 100 people or is it that's going to be a write off for a good uh, line here? Well, look, we're getting people back to work. What safeguards do we have? All that stuff has to go into this. And. You know, I want to thank everybody for bearing with me tonight. I went on a little bit of a rant, but no, that's normal here for me, right? Uh, what stuff uh, here? No, uh, right. the thing is, you don't have to go and agree with people to allow their free speech. You could go and you could go somewhere else. You don't have to obey that algorithm. Right, we're still people here that have free thought, for at least for the time being here. The way it is, there are always people who are out there uh, with stuff uh, that uh, uh, with stuff that are off the wall. Right, going way back, you look back at the old stuff in the 1700s. If you want to do a deep dive. The other thing is this. Sometimes the people you don't agree with have a valid point. There is one of these conspiracy theorists in England who uncovered a uh, person who was a very well-known person with ties to the royal family uh, there. Uh, He was a radio DJ who was doing shameful things to corpses. 
because he was worked in a hospice or some type of similar environment as a volunteer. Everyone said, oh, you're nuts, you're nuts, you're nuts. Turns out the guy was right. There are other people that I know, right, and cases uh, here in uh, northern New Jersey, oh, that were that found out about child sexual abuse. Oh, they're nuts, they're nuts, they're nuts. Oh, well, guess what? Had someone listen to them. One minute. We covered a story a couple of weeks ago here with DNA collection by the state, by certain states on, on infants. That was brought out by a couple of these people, the one that got censored and got back, got put back onto Twitter here, uh, or X now. That was pointed out 20 years ago by the man. They all said he was nuts. Turns out he was right. So some of these people, keep them out there because some of the information is correct out there, and it does worth, uh, worth it. And now you're just like, well, what's the big deal with DNA? This is what the big deal is, is that there was a move uh, a number of years ago for you not to own your own DNA. Now, that was actually not your property. So uh, for Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, come back here, God willing, tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.